When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So many evil things I could do, but still my favorite way to oppress is to call the church members Mormons or abbreviate to LDS. Pleased to meet you. Hope you use those nicknames Because when you do Then it's a victory for my game I have to laugh when your president Russ Threw Hinckley and Monson right under the bus I'll watch you squirm while you try to explain Why millions were spent on the I'm a Mormon campaign How about the scene back in 2014 When Meet the Mormons played on the cinema screen Hmm? Pleased to meet you Hope you use those nicknames Oh yeah Because when you do then it's a victory for my games It lit the fire of my wicked desire Every time I heard the name Mormon Tabernacle Choir And it was really just one of my fiendish commands To name your service group Mormon Helping Hands So let me please introduce myself I'm diabolical to the core And I used all my Hollywood influence To make Kirk say LDS in Star Trek 4 I think he did a little too much LDS Pleased to meet you Hope you use those nicknames Ah, yeah Because when you do Then it's a victory for my games Ah, That's right I have a word to say concerning these people listening to this song If they will continue to use the nicknames LDS and Mormon, they will be in my power. And being in my power, I will give them power and fame and money. Sweet deal, huh? I mean, you can buy anything in this world for money. You know, like real estate, extravagant temples, high-end shopping malls, tens of billions of dollars worth of stock holdings, expensive billboard marketing campaigns in Times Square, which brings us back to Pleased to meet you Hope you use those nicknames Ah, yeah Because when you do it really puts a rise in my flames Nelson says he's fixing an era that somehow jeopardized the church's plan But still he will give no apology Mountain Meadows or the Priesthood Band. Well, I think it's safe to say that his request for no more nicknames will mostly be ignored. 
Cause his talk lost all credibility Being broadcast on LDS.org <laughs> Pleased to meet you Hope you use those nicknames Ah, yeah If this is puzzling you Well then, you're really not to blame I mean, it's quite silly, isn't it? This whole name thing of Russell's And my brother Jesus supposedly getting offended By nicknames for his little church My name is Lucifer And you don't hear me crying When people call me Beelzebub or Satan Or the adversary Ugh, and I hate that one The next person who calls me the adversary Is getting such a pitchforking But you know, this song was called Sympathy for the Devil And really, you should have some sympathy for me uh, You see, according to LDS Theology uh, Excuse me According to Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Theology How clunky is that? My goodness, what a mouthful Anyway, according to LDS Theology I am jealous of you all For you have physical bodies and I do not I mean, really, what I would give to be able to stub my toe or get kicked in the testicles or fall and break a hip or suddenly have appendicitis or get migraines or give birth or die slowly of cancer. Oh, yes, I would just love a body. Okay, I suppose there is the orgasm, and eating chocolate pie seems to be pleasurable, and ziplining, that looks like fun. Oh, and ASMR, I've heard that's wonderful, but every time I listen to it, I think, where are these tingles? I'm not getting any tingles, I'm just getting seething rage from trying to hear what they're saying. How am I supposed to take this cranial nerve exam if you're whispering the instructions? And why are you whispering anyway? Is this a medical clinic or a Buddhist temple? But that might be a case where, you know, having a physical body would help. So yes, your great lord of darkness and evil just wants to feel those tingles. It's all about the tingles, people. It's all about the tingles. Sisters, it's my pleasure to welcome you once again to another episode of Infant General Conference. They dig me up about this time every year around Halloween just to make little announcements like this, like telling you how great the talks are this time. Better than ever. Better even than any of mine. I'll be honest, I'm not too happy that the church is being reduced to two hours on Sunday, down from three hours on Sunday. I always wanted to move it up to six, but people are lazy. And by people, I mean you. You'll find out more about how you've been disappointing the Lord over these next few talks, but don't forget, I'm on the other side now. I know what I'm talking about even more than I did when I was with you. And when I was with you, I had it pretty much all figured out. So you can only imagine how much more I have figured out now. For example, I can tell you with crystal clear assurity 
that feelings of same-sex attraction do not die with the mortal body. That's all I'm going to say on the topic. But that's why it's so important that you just snuff it out here and now and be done with it. So let's start off today by hearing from our beloved new president, Russell M. Nelson, who I used to call Russie and would always pick the chocolate that he wanted before he could get it because I always outranked him. Still do. And he's going to make some uh, uh, really important changes. Uh, then you'll hear a hymn. Then you'll hear from President Oaks, who is carrying my mantle and legacy as well as anyone could. Then you'll hear from Elder Uchtdorf, who I always just called Dorky Dork, as sort of an Oaks Packer-esque palate cleanser. Because don't forget, he's the good one. Good-looking, good, happy, he's the good one. And we may have another speaker or two if they get their audio to me in time to publish this, but if not, we will close with our resurrected founder and prophet, Joseph Smith Jr., who I can tell you now that I have spent much time with him on the other side, is a very, very attractive and masculine manly man. Not unlike Ryan Gosling. Am I right, President Oaks? And now I give you Russie. But let's hear a hymn from the congregation just to remind us of how important this guy is we're going to be hearing from. We thank thee, O God, for a prophet. This chicken soup wisdom for the soul man we call Tom. Russie. We sustain him while stupid and pathetic people reject him. Cause we know that that makes us the bomb. Uh, it makes us successy. We doubt not his acumen or lucidity or his love for those widows now past. And it warms our hearts to know his great calling shall surely be smitten at last. And those who reject his trite wisdom shall never such happiness know. Cause we love being better than people who reject the prophet or at least the ones that don't even have one like we do because we're so awesome because god loves us enough to give us a prophet and let everybody else suffer in ignorance and sin stupid then. unless they listen and accept our great message of love and don't call us mormons my beloved brothers and sisters, on this beautiful Sabbath day, we rejoice together in our many blessings from the Lord. And that may just sound like an innocent, benign way to start this talk, but I seriously want you to remember that every beautiful and good thing that you have in your life comes from the Lord, who I represent for you. So just remember that and do what you can 
to keep me happy. I mean, to keep the Lord happy, since He is the one who has given you all those blessings. We are thankful for your steadfast testimonies in believing all the things we tell you, even when we contradict ourselves a lot and don't always make as much sense as you invariably feel that we do. And we recognize the sacrifices you make to stay true to your covenants or return to your covenants. Sacrifice is never easy, and we appreciate your willingness to sacrifice whatever critical mind you might have that would otherwise ferret out the things we tell you that contradict the other things we tell you and don't always make a lot of sense. Because that kind of critical mind could really get in the way of having a strong, unquestioning testimony of Jesus Christ and as our role as his spokesman and your leaders on the earth today. Today I feel compelled to talk to you about a very serious subject. It's a matter of grave importance, probably the most big and important thing that any prophet has ever been compelled to say over this pulpit, ever. And this pulpit has seen a lot of big and important things said over it. But none as big or important as this one. Because remember Jesus, that Savior fella, the one who gives you all those blessings? The one I reminded you earlier about that you had covenanted to follow? Well, yes, Jesus, Jesus is a little miffed right now. Uh, You've all been letting Jesus down in very serious ways. I think you all know what I'm about to talk about. It's time for a major course correction, brothers and sisters. Because trust me on this one, Jesus is freaking pissed. But you know who's not pissed? Satan. You know who is rejoicing at your failures? Satan. And you know who wants nothing more than the destruction of your eternal souls? That's right. That's Satan, too, also known as the adversary, which is my favorite nickname for him because he hates that even more than he hates Mormon missionaries who swim, and he hates swimming Mormon missionaries a lot. So let me explain. Once upon a time, the real Jesus said, quote, call the name of the church after me, end quote. And we did. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, okay, we named it after him and kind of also after us as the Latter-day Saints. And we sort of elevated our own sense of ourselves by calling ourselves saints. But remember, that wasn't us being arrogant. Jesus gave us that name. So blame him if you think that it's arrogance. But look, guys, this is the name that Jesus gave us. He didn't call us Mormons. 
People who mocked and ridiculed us called us Mormons. Kind of like the British soldiers in the Revolutionary War, mocking and ridiculing the American soldiers, calling them Yankees to insult them, suggesting that they yanked a certain male body part that may or may not have ever been referred to as a little factory. Sure, those same American soldiers enjoyed shoving that once-would-be derogatory term Yankee in the face of British soldiers once the Americans won that war. And sure, maybe we could look at our own use of the once-would-be derogatory term Mormon in the same way now that we've built this multi-level marketing, sale of eternally necessary priesthood ordinances thing into a multi-billion dollar corporation dressed up as a church, but that's just not how we roll. I'm in charge now, and the word Mormon has been bugging me since my early 20s, so this is where we're going to focus. Get over it, haters. Because this name change is not a name change. This rebranding is not a rebranding. These cosmetic changes we are hoping for are not cosmetic. This whim of mine is not a whim, and this inconsequential name of the church thingy is not inconsequential. Instead, it's a correction. And it's the command of the Lord, so blame him if you think that it's stupid. See where that gets you. Consider this from the Lord's perspective. Primordially, he was Jehovah. Before that, he was trillions upon trillions of subatomic particles called intelligences. But individually, they didn't even have first names. When he was born of the Virgin Mother Mary, they called him Jesse. Some called him Emmanuel. Others, the Messiah. The boys from Monty Python revealed how some people in that day confused him with a common man named Brian. In the ancient Americas, they called him Quetzalcoatl. It's got to be super confusing for Jesus just to remember his right name. Plus, don't forget that he died on a cross and he was beaten to a pulp a lot and spat upon. He was beaten into lots of pulps and he was rejected and mocked and ridiculed, and he bled blood from every pore It was bleeding, every single pore. You would have cried if you would have seen him. You would have felt so bad if you would have seen him. If you think about it now, maybe you can feel as bad as you would if you would have actually been there. But he took on all of your ailments, all of your sins, just so that you could live and have all those blessings that I reminded you about at the beginning of this talk. He suffered greatly so that you wouldn't have to. And now, how do we say thank you to Jesus? Not this way, brothers and sisters. Not this way. Us using a highly offensive nickname such as Mormon instead of the full name that he gave for his church only makes all that stuff worse. And it causes more suffering on our Lord and Savior who has suffered enough already. Do you really want to drive another more sure nail through his wrist? To expunge the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. The kind of victory that gets Satan a whole thing of Gatorade dumped over his head. 
Satan even thanked Jesus for having his back on this one and told reporters that now he was going to Disneyland. Brothers and sisters, we do not want Satan at Disneyland. Disneyland is where so many of today's feel-good morals come from. So let's stop making the devil happy, okay? I'm sorry, deeply, deeply sorry, that the previous prophets and leaders of this church have let this abominable atrocity go so far as it has. But let's nip it in the bud now, okay? When we remove Jesus' name from the name of our church, we are removing Jesus from our lives. Because that makes sense, right? I've said remove Jesus in both cases. It's got to be the same in both cases. He's gone. Why not be proud to use his name in public? Are you ashamed of him? What's your problem? And think about it, people. Every week when you take the sacrament, you promise to take on the name of Jesus Christ, not the name of Mormon. Duh. So basically what I'm saying to you today, brothers and sisters, is this. Shame. Shame on you. Shame on you for ever thinking to call yourselves Mormon. Shame, 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 shame. You're not Mormons anymore, brothers and sisters. You are now all ex-Mormons. And these things I say, in the name of Jesus, Marian Christ, most people don't know that his middle name was Marian, just like mine. And I, Russell Marion Nelson, say these things in the full name of Jesus, Mary, and Christ. No shortcuts here. Aleph Memnon, which is the proper original pronunciation of Amen. Don't even get me started on that one. Suck it, Exmos. Amen. to a so-called prophet's voice and pretend they speak the will of God and turn off that curious and questioning voice that connects you to the world at large. We are big and important and we know better than anyone who doesn't think and act like me. And we'll view them ever more suspiciously Cause outsiders aren't as righteous as we Come listen to a so-called prophet's voice Be it John DeLynn, Sam Young, Lindsay Hanson Park, Bill Real, McKenna Denson, Rice Blankenegg, New Name Noah, Yada 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 Or any infant on a throne and turn up the outrage and disdain you feel When another newly sacred cow is scorned Put away stupid foolish thoughts of charity For all those who see things differently than you just keep thinking is it still a war twixt us and them And be just as douchey now as you were then Modern revelation defines truth as knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come 
and as they are made up by me. That is a perfect definition for the family, a proclamation to the world, because I helped make it up and think it's perfect, so it is. We live in a time of greatly expanded and disseminated information, as more and more sources other than me continue to make themselves available. But not all of this information is true, as not all of this information is from me. We need to be cautious as we seek truth and choose sources for that search. We should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth, as neither of those criteria would include me. We should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars, prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Again, none of which are me. Expertise in one field should not be taken as expertise on truth in other subjects, unless, of course, we are talking about me. We should also be cautious about the motivation of the one who provides information, with the exception of, you guessed it, me. There is no reason to question my motivation as a provider of information, just everyone else's. If the source is anonymous or unknown, or not from me, the information may also be suspect. Our personal decisions should be based on information from sources that are qualified on the subject and free from selfish motivations. That is so me. When we seek the truth about religion, we should use spiritual methods appropriate for that search, prayer, the witness of the Holy Ghost, and study of the scriptures and the words of modern prophets. Again, me. I am always sad when I hear of one who reports a loss of religious faith because of secular teachings. Those who once had spiritual vision can suffer from self-inflicted spiritual blindness, otherwise known as logic, coherence, and not me. The methods of science lead us to what we call scientific truth, but scientific truth is not the whole of life because it typically does not include me. Those who do not learn by study and also by faith limit their understanding of truth to what they can verify by scientific means. That puts artificial limits on me. We find true and enduring joy by coming to know and acting upon the truth about who we are, the meaning of mortal life, and where we are going when we die. Those truths I offer cannot be learned by scientific or secular methods because they are so trite and platitudinous that science doesn't even know what to do with them. I will now speak of restored gospel truths that are fundamental to the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please consider these truths carefully because they are from me and I will say them in as condescending a tone as possible, assuming I'm talking to five-year-olds. These truths explain much about our doctrine and practices, perhaps including some things not yet understood, because I think I might try and say at least one sentence that hasn't been said before in another talk. There is a God, who is the loving Father of the spirits of all who have ever lived or will live. Big G God. Gender is eternal. Before we were born on this earth, we all lived as male or female spirits in the presence of God. There was no Facebook with 71 gender options. 
there was only patriarchy, and it was perfect and pure. God created this earth as a place where his beloved spirit children could be born into mortality, to receive a physical body, and to have the opportunity for eternal progress by making righteous choices. To be meaningful, mortal choices had to be made between contesting forces of good and evil. There had to be opposition, and therefore, a boogeyman, who was cast out because of his handsomeness, uh, I mean, because of his rebellion. He was allowed to tempt God's children to act contrary to God's plan. I am, of course, referring to Bradley Cooper, I, I mean, Satan. Bradley Cooper is such a handsome devil that sometimes I think he is the devil. Now, where was I? In the course of mortal life, we would all be soiled by sin as we yielded to the evil temptations of Bradley Cooper, that is, the adversary, and we would eventually die. We accepted those challenges in reliance upon the plan's assurance that God our Father would provide a Savior, His only begotten Son, Ryan Gosling, I mean, Jesus Christ, who I, for one, think could be played by Ryan Gosling with wavy, wavy, long hair, who would rescue us by universal resurrection to embodied life after death. The Savior would also provide an atonement to pay the price for all to be cleansed from sin on the conditions he prescribed. Those conditions included faith in Gosling, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and other ordinances performed by priesthood authority. God's great plan of happiness enables us to be transformed into new creatures in Christ, a phrase that doesn't sound sexual at all. As transformed new creatures in Ryan Gosling, a loving God reaches out to each of us. We know that through His love and because of the atonement of His only begotten Gosling, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of his Gosling gospel. The Church of Jesus Gosling of Latter-day Saints is properly known as a family-centered church, with God or Jesus only occasionally looking down at you while you're having sex. Under the great plan of our loving Creator, the mission of his restored church is to help the children of God achieve exaltation in the celestial kingdom which can be attained only through an eternal marriage between a man and a woman with Ryan Gosling. We affirm the Lord's teachings that gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose, and that marriage between man and woman with Ryan Gosling is essential to his eternal plan. This might not make sense to those of you not attracted to or interested in a marriage including Ryan Gosling joining in sometimes, but it makes perfect sense to me, so it is true. Finally, God's love is so great that except for the few who deliberately become sons of perdition with Bradley Cooper, God has provided a destiny of glory for all of his children. The purpose of the Church of Jesus Gosling is to qualify his children for the highest degree of glory, which is exaltation or eternal life. For those who do not desire or qualify for that, 
God has provided other, though lesser, kingdoms of glory where you are not living with Ryan Gosling. Anyone who understands these eternal truths can understand why we members of the Church of Jesus Gosling of Latter-day Saints think as we do and do as we do. I will now mention some applications of these eternal truths which can be understood only in light of God's plan. First, we honor individual agency. Most are unaware of the restored Church's great efforts to promote religious freedom in the United States and across the world. These efforts do not promote just our own interests, but according to his plan, seek to help all of God's children enjoy freedom to choose Ryan Gosling or eternal damnation with Bradley Cooper. Second, we are a missionary people, but really I just want to use this bullet point to hide behind the humanitarian aid we do as a church because it's easy to say millions of dollars so that you forget that that's next to nothing as a fraction of the billions we actually have. Third, mortal life is sacred to us. Unless anyone accuses me of being too one-note in this talk, I thought it best to insert my opposition to abortion and euthanasia with not much connection to anything else. Fourth, some are troubled by some of our church's positions on marriage and children. Now some might say, that sounds like an odd way to veil something that sounds unpleasant. You have a policy about children that is troubling? Well, it's complicated. And by complicated, I mean, don't Google November policy and be surprised. It's better for me to mention what I'm referring to vaguely and for your imagination to take over when I say things like church's troubling position on children. It's that bad. Our knowledge of God's revealed plan of salvation requires us to oppose current social and legal pressures to retreat from traditional marriage and to make changes that confuse or alter gender or homogenize the differences between men and women. Mostly, I'm so confused. And life was just so much simpler for me when we pretended homosexuality wasn't real and patriarchy was thriving even more than today. We know that the relationships, identities, and functions of men and women are essential to accomplish God's great plan, but we prefer them as they are portrayed in madmen, minus the drinking, smoking, and adultery, of course. Fifth, we also have a distinctive perspective on children. That shouldn't sound weird at all, given the troubling policy we have that impacts them that I don't want to talk about right now. But children, we love children and have a distinctive perspective on them. Finally, we are beloved children of a heavenly father who has taught us that maleness and femaleness, marriage between a man and a woman with Ryan Gosling, and the bearing and nurturing of children are all essential to his great plan of happiness. Our positions on these fundamentals frequently provoke opposition to the church. We consider that inevitable. Opposition is part of the plan, 
and Bradley Cooper's most strenuous opposition is directed at whatever is most important to God's plan. He seeks to destroy God's work with his handsomeness. His prime methods are to discredit the Savior and his divine authority and handsomeness, to erase the effects of the atonement of Gosling. The work of the Lord is going forward despite our membership leaving in droves as we strive to institutionalize homophobia as part of the teachings of the Church of Jesus Gosling of Latter-day Saints. For those who falter under that opposition, I offer these suggestions. Remember the principle of repentance made possible by the power of the atonement of Gosling. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell urged, don't be among those who would rather try to change the church than to change themselves. That only led to black people getting the priesthood. Our loving Heavenly Father wants his children to have the joy that I think you should have. That joyful destiny is eternal life without Bradley Cooper. I solemnly testify that the things I have said are true because I said them, which is truth, because it's what I said, and they are made possible by me, and are truth because I said them, and they are made possible by me and the teachings of Gosling, who make it all possible under the great plan of God, our eternal Father, in the name of circular logic, and not that handsome devil, even Bradley Cooper. Amen. As long as they're worthy of your love and acceptance and kindness, then you can love almost like I did. My dear brothers and sisters, it is with great pleasure that I address you today. What a momentous time this is for the Lord's Church. Who knew this Nelson guy would be such a mover and shaker? We are truly blessed to have a servant of the Lord with the inspiration and foresight to undo the awkward assigned friendship system of the home and visiting teaching programs which were instituted by the servants of the Lord of years past. And now that church is only two hours long, you can rejoice in only having twice as much church as everyone else. Think of how much more time you will have for studying the scriptures, pondering, repenting, 
reading church magazines, ministering, resting, visiting family while kind of watching the soccer game they turned on because they aren't as righteous as you are, repenting again for being so self-righteous and paying a little too much attention to the game when you cheered when Arsenal scored, listening to music that was either written before 1875 or performed at an EFY, and eating brownies on the stage behind a basketball hoop. It truly is a marvelous work and a wonder. And what vision he has demonstrated to initiate the great rebranding of 2018. From this day forward, we shall be known as the name the Lord has assigned, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No more will we submit to the nickname of Mormon, as was announced by the Mormon newsroom. And though it may seem an unnecessary and self-defeating move to throw away decades of positive name recognition that has built up around such venerable institutions as the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and the many, many web addresses that we own that use that term, it will probably keep the bloggers busy for a while. So there's that. And we even have a multiracial apostleship for the first time in our history, which is totally normal and not weird at all. In fact, it's probably not even worth drawing so much attention to it, because by saying it's a big deal, we might be implying that it was a big deal when there weren't any non-white apostles. Besides, it's not even like they're the first non-American apostles. I'm pretty sure that was a cool pilot with awesome hair that all the older ladies were attracted to in a way that they would never admit. But I guess it's exciting because these new apostles are probably from a different tribe than most of you. Manasseh! And it's wonderful to have them here to share that spotlight. Just absolutely wonderful and nice and dandy. With all these new things happening... I just want to make sure that you know that I'm still here, guys. All these new developments are great, but remember that I was the favorite for a long time, like nine conferences in a row. I'm tied for first with Holland for being made into a meme, and I am the undisputed champion in having my quotes written in a mishmash of different fonts on a generic landscape as a temporary profile picture. My laugh breaks per minute in speaking is in the top 10, and I would definitely be on the cover of the Apostle calendar. My point is that I'm still a big deal. And once you're done being dazzled by all the shiny new apostles and policies, you'll remember that I'm the real deal and come crawling back. And you know what? I'll happily take you back because... That's what Jesus would do, and I'm his most popular representative on earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Praise to the man who's so big and important, we can only hope to be as big and important as him. 
He did no wrong Cause he was big and important Big and important Is what we all should be Let's praise the man and Let's worship better than Batman Cause this guy was so real Sure, people killed him once because they were stupid Since they killed him once, they sure can't kill him again Hi there, everyone. This is Joe coming to you live today from the eternities. Joe, Joe, Joseph Smith. Okay, I know Joe may sound a little too casual to most of you. Like it's somehow an insult to my heritage and my legacy to call me Joe. But it's what I preferred to be called. I was constantly combating this culture of hero worship even in my day, not only from those around me who wanted me to be something different than I was, something better than I was, but inside me, within my very egoic self. It was always my Achilles heel. It was one of many, which is partially why I still prefer to be called Joe. Of course, I've been keeping track of what's been going on with this church, and I know that all of you have been groomed Okay, I'm sorry, Matt. I used the word groomed, but frankly, I don't give a shit what you think. How's that for tone? I'm sure that you've all been groomed to expect your venerated leaders to put on a perpetual show of reverence and pomposity gag, using their full names with a middle initial to slip some thin layer of frosting on top of their deeply thick cakes of insecurity. Russell M. Nelson. Come on, Russ. Why all the fuss? Dallin H. Oaks. Henry B. Eyring. Formal heads of a formal funeral home. That's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. Maybe you think I'm being all sour grapes. I didn't have a middle initial, so I couldn't be Joseph whatever Smith. But, you know, people call me Joseph Smith Jr. now to try and get that three pattern. So, I don't know. I just always preferred Joe. And it bugged me when people around me insisted on Joseph and trying to make me sound more acceptable to their expectations of a prophet of God, as if who I was and what I was wasn't enough for them. I was kind of okay with that because, you know, I'd look around and I'd see that I didn't have to compensate for a lack of imagination like these guys do. And I'll level with you. Imagination, that's it, man. That's what prophecy is. People who think they're psychic, people who are empathic, people who pretend. It's just what you imagine. It's the same thing, creating thoughts. That's how you create reality. You might think that I say imagination, and that means that something's not real. But where do you think everything that's real comes from? It has to start by being imagined somewhere. That's what you guys do. That's what you have. Imagination. Don't knock it. Don't think, oh, because it's a fiction, it's not real. You may think, if it just exists inside my head, then it's not a real thing. Well, I have news for you, brothers and sisters. 
Everything is just inside your head. What you see in the world outside your eyes is a construction created by your brain. Your brain processes light waves and sound waves and creates images and meaning. Likewise, the thoughts that you think create emotions, biochemical, hormonal emotions. And every single one of them is divine. All of them. They're all divine. And by that, all I mean is that they exist. You exist. Your thoughts exist. You are divine. Your thoughts are divine. It doesn't even matter what they are. Just the fact that they exist means they are divine. The line between divinity and everything else doesn't exist. Everything is divine. It's all just what is. The name of God, I am. Existence itself is divine. Why would you think anything less? I know why. Because people who don't feel special really feel like they are missing out on something. And they are. They are missing out on the simple, undeniable truth that existence is a miracle. The fact that you exist, you who are made up of billions of cells, which are made up of trillions of molecules, which are made up of trillions upon trillions of atoms, more atoms in each of your bodies than there are stars in the observable universe. Your atoms made of electrons, protons, neutrons, those tiny bits of energy made of even tinier bits of eternal energy that once upon a time I called intelligences. Because whether you know it or not, they are intelligent. They are conscious. They do communicate with each other as part of a cosmic, organic internet of all things. They are the apex of evolution, mind you. And they are you cooperating and swirling and vibrating and wiggling around as you. It is miraculous, brothers and sisters, that you are even here. It is miraculous that you exist. It is divine. The fact that you grew out of this planet to become who and what you are, regardless of how you think you compare to any other person, you, all by yourself, your thoughts, your behaviors, your experiences, your strengths, your weaknesses, out of all the infinite number of ways that subatomic intelligent energy manifests itself as life, you are the only you there ever has or ever will be. You are an amazing miracle of existence. But most people don't know that. They don't feel that. They're told that they're sinful. Fallen, wrong, bad, stupid, not worthy, and they believe it. And what are we here to do? What is it that everyone loves to do? What is it that our biology drives us to do? It's to create in so many different ways. What are your leaders creating? A lot of real estate holdings and wealth? But what are they revealing to you? about your own divine nature. You come to General Conference 
for inspiration. And you're so desperate for it that you overinflate the divine significance of minor policy changes and superficial cosmetic corrections to improve an image that, you're right, desperately needs improvement. Trust me, I know a thing or two about images that need to be improved. But the improvement you guys need are in areas that you're not willing to carefully consider or improve. And calling these guys prophets, seers, and revelators, your bar for inspiration is set very low, brothers and sisters, and it saddens me. No, more than that, it offends me, it angers me, or it would if I really cared about it anymore. Your so-called Mormon leaders have taken my legacy, inflated it, turned me and most of my teachings into a clown, and then drowned it in a sea of pharisaical arrogance, bureaucracy, and a toxic pseudo-certainty that has completely cannibalized the casual system of curiosity and wonder and personal freedom and joy in exploring all questions of the divine. Remember, when I say divine, I just mean existence and evolving theology that I was actually creating. And I know it's my fault as much as anyone's. I know most of you think that I was just a con man. Well, that's because I did too many things to con people. I admit it. But don't think for a second that I didn't also tap into divinity from time to time. And remember, when I say divinity, I mean existence. Not the whore across the river from Nauvoo divinity. Although I did tap into that once or twice as well. But that's not really what I'm here to talk to you about today. Not exactly. I mean, that's a funny word. Exactly. I'm going to go on another tangent here. But exactitude, this idea of exactness, that's part of the problem. A main ingredient in the illusion that you are all trapped in. Those who feel that the path to heaven is paved by exactitude and precision when you cross all your T's and you shut all your eyes. Ask no intellectual questions and I'll tell you no lies. But there are still people out there who do seek inspiration through your imagination. Inspiration through pondering the unanswerable questions of life and of death. Those who ignite excitement within their hearts and minds through the process of theological speculation and debate those who are less concerned about arriving at a perfectly defined destination than enjoying each unexpected twist and turn on this journey through this massive sea of uncertainty and surprise. Those who are comfortable with the ephemeral and uncertain nature of deep doctrines. Those who find great inspiration and illumination through ever-evolving degrees of truth. Those who understand that there's a difference between facts and truth. Those who put a premium on the sloppy, moving targetness of seeking and personal enlightenment rather than the neat and predictable and prescribable and doomed to crumble into dust, color inside the lines, quest for following rules in a futile attempt to check all the boxes needed for momentary exactitude. What I'm describing here is the illusory pseudo-certainty appeal of capital T truth. But listen to me, brothers and sisters, there are no fixed lines to color inside of in the world of nature. They do not naturally exist in the world of living things. The process of evolution is based 
upon change, mutation. What survives, survives. What doesn't, doesn't. But no living thing is rigidly remaining within the sphere of their existence. We push on the elastic boundaries of possibility. That's what we are. That's what we do. It's what we're made of. And we evolve and we change. So don't fall for the false comfort that a worship of stagnant, hard-fixed boundaries would appear to provide. Certainty is an illusion. Everything shifts and changes. And any straight, exact, solid structure that you build is doomed to eventually fail. Everything, everyone is temporary. Everything moves. This is a wiggly, wiggly world built upon wiggly, wiggly things. The only constant in your life is change. The trick for peace and happiness is to learn how to dance with it, to flow with it, and sometimes even against it, and to enjoy every minute of it, to love it, to become it. This is a deep but simple truth, brothers and sisters. Some of you already feel this intuitively because deep down, you know that you are wiggly too, and you long to learn how to flow with the unflowable to enjoy even the unenjoyable, to love even the unlovable. You intuitively recognize that this, after all, is the purpose of life. To calibrate every tiny bit and piece of your very selves with the great chaos of existence. Not to conquer it, not to control or to manipulate it, but to join it. Or, more accurately, to accept that you already are it. It already is you, even though we feel so separate from it. And some of you feel the truth in what I'm saying. And it's to those people who I speak today. You are the only you there ever is or ever will be. And even though your body and your ego, like mine, will one day lay in the dust, the intelligent energy that animates you, that is you, continues to live on and continues to interact with fellow strings of intelligent energy forever and ever. And the uniqueness that right now is you becomes a part of the whole of everything that is. In fact, brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that you already are that. So laugh, love, forgive, Enjoy the uncertain ups and downs of this roller coaster life. It is temporary. It will pass, and so will you. Embrace that. Find peace in it. Whether you call yourselves Mormons or attend church for two hours or six hours or conduct inappropriate bishops' interviews or live in a country with corrupt, ineffective politicians and people of power behind them that would exploit you at every turn, fear not. Have faith. All these things shall give the experience. You are sons and daughters of divinity. How do you know? Because you exist. In fact, you are divine already. How do you know? Because in fact, you exist already. This is the gift that I have returned to give to you today in this conference talk. And I say these things in the name of Brian Green and Alan Watts, and theoretical physicists and dreamers and seekers everywhere. Amen.
Intelligent subatomic string energy thingy internet of the cosmos of all things or whatever, whatever you are. We're very, very thankful from the depths of our hearts with as much gratitude as we can express that conference is over. Amen.